Good good evening, everybody. Uh, sorry for our slow start here. We had a little bit of technical difficulty getting on, um, but we're glad that you've joined us. Uh, my name is Maura Stevens. I'm volunteering with Roots Action and other whistleblower organizations. I'm a journalist and activist based in New York State. <laughs> and um very uh, excited about this whole week of action around whistleblowing um, that that uh, many of you have been uh, hearing some of over the um, past few days. We've been having web conferences. And tonight we're uh, fortunate to have two very important NSA whistleblowers with us, um, William Binney and Kirk Wiebe, who uh, uh, between the two of them spent more than six decades at the National Security Agency. Um, William Binney was, uh, among other things, technical director of the NSA's World Geopolitical and Military Analysis Reporting Group. Um, he and his team, of which uh, uh, our other guest, Kirk Wiebe, was a member, created a, a program uh, that called Thin Thread um, to collect uh, metadata that would ensure the privacy rights of those whose uh, uh, data was being collected, that American citizens. They, uh, Thin Thread had a, what they called an anonymizing feature that would ensure Fourth Amendment protections. And the program was pretty reasonably priced. I think it was uh, just a, uh, $3 million or so they expected it to cost uh, taxpayers. Um, and, and the, the program was ready uh, in, in January of 2011, uh, 2001, rather, uh, months before the 9-11 attacks. And um, uh, William Binney and Kirk Wiebe and their colleagues believed that the actions of al-Qaeda leading up to the attacks would have been caught by this uh, program. But the NSA decided instead to go with an untried program that would enrich private contractors. Um, um, Binney and his colleagues blew the whistle on this, um, on the NSA, and uh, and uh, he subsequently retired from the NSA and has been warning about the data mining programs and the Orwellian state that they've been uh, able to create. I'll let him tell more of his own story, um, but uh, he's been a key source for exposés on uh, on uh, on uh, data collection and. Um, he continues to speak out about the Department of Homeland Security's efforts to supply, spy on activists and dissident journalists. Uh, and his colleague at the NSA, Kirk Wiebe, is also joining us. He, he was there from 75 to 01 as a senior analyst, um, received several very important, distinguished, uh, meritorious uh, service awards um, for his work against foreign strategic weapons systems. Um, he was part of the thin thread, thin thread, thin thread team. Excuse me. <laughs> um, and, and then the two men and two of their colleagues um, blew the whistle on the NSA mismanagement and wasted billions of dollars in, uh, and um, complained to the Department of Defense to no avail. Um, and have, he, like uh, Benny, has been working hard to stop that. And I wanted to start our conversation tonight with. Uh, uh, by telling you that if you have a question and you'd like to um, ask either of our speakers, you can uh, type it in to the web dashboard, and I will read it to them. You can also uh, tweet at Roots Action your questions, and um, 
we'll hear uh, responses. If you are a potential whistleblower yourself, we especially hope you will ask questions. So uh, I'm going to start off by asking um, uh, William Binney to give us a, just a brief, as brief as possible, background on um, his own feelings about his work at the NSA, why he worked at the NSA, and why he ultimately felt um, he had to become a whistleblower. Okay, well, I I, uh, I, I worked uh, for NSA uh, four years in the Army Security Agency, which is uh, the Army component of CSS, the Combined Security Service, which is the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, SIGINT components, um, and it's NSA CSS. Uh, that's why the director of NSA is military, because those military components fall underneath the, the NSA. Uh, I worked there four years as a part of that, then tour in Turkey and also back at NSA. And then uh, after that, I worked for 32 years as a civilian in NSA. And most of that time, uh, I felt that I was doing a, a proper job to help, uh, you know, uh, protect the, uh, the United States and the free world and our allies around the world. Um, because we were fundamentally, I was looking at the um, the Soviet Union and the Warsaw Pact, which at the time was a uh, a, a, a very uh, a strong potential adversary. So I felt I was doing a positive job, you know, like a true patriot. I was uh, defending the country and making sure that uh, mistakes weren't made that could escalate into very dangerous situations. Uh, so uh, until they started spying on the U.S. citizens, we were very uh, we were under use at 18. The rules governing NSA internally, and uh, when we came across U.S. citizens' data in the bank uh, in our databases, why we would uh, purge it, and that was according to the regulations, the FISA laws, and the and the uh, of course the Constitution, and so on, and the Charter of NSA. So, but after 9/11. Uh, Cheney went to the dark side and uh, took everybody with him, and they all started spying uh, on everybody in the United States. And at that point, I could no longer, I mean, after all, I took an oath the, uh, to protect and defend the Constitution, not the president or the attorney general or, you know, any agency. And so I felt I could not stay there. It was, uh, it would be, I would be an accessory to all the crimes they were committing. So I had to get out. Thank you. <clears throat> for that brief um, and telling uh, little uh, anecdote about how you felt so strongly about the the work that you were doing was so patriotic and you were doing something to help your country and then realizing that indeed the country wasn't just a, a few people. Um, and Kirk, can you give us a break, brief uh, story about how yeah. you came to where you are now? <laughs> Not sure. where you and, are now, but how you came to your job at the NSA. Sure. Uh, and my story um, parallels Bill's, except uh, instead of the Army, I was in the Air Force Intelligence Organization called the United States Air Force Security Service. So that's where I began my exposure to intelligence in terms of electronic signals and um, enjoyed doing that uh, to the point that uh, – after I got a degree in Russian, uh, I applied to the NSA. They said, come on down. We have a Cold War going. We can use Russian language expertise. So uh, I joined them. And for virtually all my career, I had a terrific experience, worked in various jobs, everything from uh, transcribing the Russian language to information technology uh, even went on some hiring trips, hiring for the agency at various universities, 
so did some career broadening and enjoyed that. But uh, one of the most exciting, if not, uh, well, one of the two most exciting assignments was uh, my last one with uh, Bill, uh, Benny, and Ed Loomis uh, and colleagues in the what we call the SIGINT Automation Research Center. And we were taking on the uh, three uh, most prominent issues associated with the burgeoning growth of the Internet, uh, often called the digital age or information age, uh, which everybody has gone through uh, in recent times. Um, and NSA didn't know how to deal with it. And it was because the data was coming quickly. That's velocity. It came in different forms. Just think about it. You could chat. You can uh, Instagram. You can Facebook. You can email. You can phone. You can do all kinds of things. Uh, so it's variety. That's the other issue. And the other one's the volume. Uh, as everybody knows, everyone's email uh, uh, inbox is too big, and there's too much junk in there, and we all have to sort it. Well, imagine what NSA's sorting task is. So those three things were actually being managed in that little organization, a research organization, made huge breakthroughs. And, and, and I have to tell you, uh, the deputy director of NSA came down to see what what the what the group had done, and they said, "My," he said, "My God, you have made huge breakthroughs. Why are you being so modest?" Well, we weren't. We were being resisted by others in the agency who wanted to do other things, and they certainly didn't care about privacy. So we didn't have influence with the director, uh, the director of NSA, then Michael Hayden, who uh, is in the media from time to time. Uh, told Bill Black to shut up, and uh, Hayden said, I'm going to do something with industry called Trailblazer, and we're not going to worry about that privacy stuff, and we're going to go do it the way we want to do it. Well, the problem was they didn't know how to do it. So they spent a lot of money and ended up failing utterly uh, by 2005 uh, in the largest intelligence failure in NSA history, and yet the director of NSA gets promoted once, and then he gets promoted again. Um, we call it failing upward and don't understand it because the security of the nation was sold for money. Business interests. Unbelievable. Uh, did you want to add anything to that, Bill? Uh uh no, I mean Kirk uh, really captured that. I mean we had that program running for almost a a year and a half, uh, the Thin Thread program for almost a year and a half, we had it running 24 hours a day at about three separate sites. Uh, and uh, that was bef about a year and a half before the January to 2001 when we wanted to deploy it. We made that proposal in November of 2000 to deploy it to those 18 sites that we had that were targeted against terrorism. Okay, so <clears throat> so uh, that was rejected. It would have cost us nine and a half million dollars to do that deployment. The entire development of Thin Thread was three million two hundred thousand dollars, roughly. So it wasn't something that companies liked to like to see because it wasn't didn't allow them uh, feeding. And in other words, the the companies that uh, do work for NSA or other government agencies like to feed on the money and keep the problem going so they can keep feeding as long as possible. 
Um, and so that's why I came up with a vision statement for them that said basically uh, keep the problem going so the money keeps flowing. It's disgusting. So, so how long did it take you to uh, to come to the conclusion that things were not going the way you uh, believed they should be going? Uh, was that over the course of some months, or did did something come to you suddenly? Did you did you one thing uh, trigger your understanding, or did it was it not until they chose uh, to go to not take thin thread or? Well, it was the point, I guess, that... uh, That decision was the point when you realized how bad things were? Well, it was uh, when they wouldn't even take up thin thread as a risk mitigation process. I mean, it was functioning. They could have used it. It would have handled fiber optic rates, and they didn't want to... That was their objective with the Trailblazer program for billions of dollars. It's just that uh, it it was done internally in NSA, not externally, and so... Uh, to me, that was uh, that when they totally rejected even the even the possibility of using it for risk mitigation, which which wouldn't stop their program. They could have taken it and leveraged it and used it to help make the country safe. Instead, they refused to do that and invested everything in this trailblazer program, which was outsourced to corporations. Well, that told me the place was so corrupt that I had decided to get out, and I had I had uh, made my um, decision known to senior management at NSA so that they knew I was leaving um, in June of uh, 2001. And I was planning on leaving early 2002 because of the corruption. Um, and uh, when 9-11 happened, I thought I could uh, do something to help uh, and uh, resurrected the attempt to uh, deploy ThinThread as, a, as something that would function right now and they could use right now. And they refused even to do it then. And then they took the parts of ThinThread and used it to start Stellar Wind, the program to spy on everybody in the United States. And then they expanded it to everybody in the world. And the software that we did for ThinThread made that possible. And so that's what they did. And that, at that point, I said, this is a direct violation of the constitutional rights of every citizen in the United States, and I'm out. I'm not going to be associated with this. And you you had a few colleagues with whom you could discuss this. Is that correct? The two of you together and and a few other colleagues were you right. were you Kirk, talking Kirk to and I and uh, at that point? Yeah, we, we yeah Kirk and I and Tom Drake and uh, Diane Rourke were basically the ones talking about this issue and trying to work inside the government to to get it to change. It's uh, to make their, what they're doing uh, more um, along the lines of a constitutionally accepted process rather than doing everything in secret and uh, violating all the laws in the Constitution. So we did that for about seven years, and then they, uh, then we made so much of a nuisance of ourselves inside in Congress and so on, so they, they, they felt they had to raid us, and they tried to indict us falsely again three separate times. Uh, they manufactured evidence, and each time we caught them, finally we threatened them with malicious prosecution, and after that, they didn't bother us. So tell us about how they came after you. I understand both of you and your family suffered quite quite uh, traumatic um, events. Can you tell us a little bit about how that happened? Well, Kirk, why don't you go first? Yeah, yeah it, it was retribution, Maura. In, in other words, um, <laughs> after we left NSA, Tom Drake was still there. And we, of course, uh, had communications with Tom uh, and just asking him about how things were going. And it became apparent 
that things were getting worse and worse and worse, that our worst fears were being realized, that all the work and the hard discovery of how to do things the right way were being ignored. And that continued. And so uh, the rest of us who had already left, uh, Diane, uh, Ed Loomis, Bill, and I, decided to write a complaint to the Department of Defense Inspector General uh, revealing the corruption mismanagement and what was going on there. And we did that um, in uh, September of 2002. Uh, five years later, we were raided by the FBI. Um, our understanding and what people have told us, in, including various attorneys for different people, was that the government doesn't like it when you put them on report. And we had done that with the IG uh, report. And it grew into a huge investigation and spun off several other investigations that I never did find out what the nature of those were, but it doesn't surprise me. Um, but the point of it was the government didn't like it. Somebody gave the order to uh, give us a punch in the face. And it came in the form of all of us, uh, all the four uh, signees of the complaint uh, were raided on uh, the morning of July 26, 2007 at 9 a.m. Eastern time in a coordinated hit on Diane, Rourke, myself, Bill Binney, and Ed Loomis. Uh, and in Bill Binney's case, they actually drew guns uh, while he was in the shower. He can tell you about that. Uh, and even on his wife, who was still in bed. So, no, it's not fun to go through. They were at our respective homes for about seven, seven and a half hours, ransacking through everything, uh, <laughs> taking all of our computers, to anything with a memory, telephones, notes, papers. In fact, if you read the affidavit for the search, it has 17 paragraphs of stuff that they said they could take. Um, and we're going to use that as primate facie evidence of something called a general warrant. In other words, when you, somebody comes into your home to do a search, they're not allowed to do it with a general warrant. They have to specify what it is they're after and where they're going to look. They didn't do that. They went through our whole house and our, all of our digital data and information. So um, we fought back. We set a precedent in court by demanding our, our information back. Uh, so they took the hard drives, but they gave us our data back except for a few embarrassing emails. And so we felt vindicated uh, that we were actually able to help others who uh, can now demand their property be returned if they're not prosecuted. And and how did this affect your family? Uh, your your um, I mean, obviously oh. it must have been terrifying for you. You had no idea. I, all of you had no idea that this was happening. It took a long time for them to to uh, make this plan. Obviously. Sure, Bill. Tell your story. Uh, well, uh, during the raid, I mean, we were I, like Kirk said, we were all raided simultaneously. Um, uh, when they came and knocked on the door, my son answered the door, they, and they pushed him out of, uh, out of the way at gunpoint, and then they came upstairs to where my wife was getting dressed in the bedroom, pointed guns at her, and I was getting out of the shower, and they came and pointed a gun at me, and, and uh, you know, after, after that, why well, they separated us, and I was, they were questioning me separately. So, you know, they, uh, <clears throat> they 
they basically said to me, tell me something that will implicate someone in a crime. Now, I guess they were after Tom Drake or Diane Rourke because those are the two most offending person people to them as far as I, as far as I could understand. But uh, that, they, uh, they wanted me to tell them something that would implicate someone in a crime. Well, that required me to figure out what the crime was to begin with and who, who then and what would implicate those people in a, in a crime, you know. So uh, uh, I had a problem being able to figure out what, what crime was because I knew and I had told them that Diane Rourke had talked to, um, the, talked to uh, Siobhan Gorman of the Baltimore Sun, but it's not a crime for and members of Congress talk to the press all the time. So what's the crime there? There isn't any. So, and I had no knowledge of anything that she passed to them that was uh, uh, indication of any classified data or anything that was criminal. In fact, later on in the court, uh, Tom Drake's case, they... Uh, where they went after him for that Baltimore Sun article, they, of course, refused to, to identify anything that was classified, and so they basically admitted that nothing that was in there was classified. So, but at that point, when I, when I, when I said that, I said I didn't know anything uh, that would do that. They said, I think you're lying. Well, that got me really mad at them. So I was getting mad at these people for what they were doing. I knew, I knew what they were, why they were there. They were there to silence us for the, and retribution for NSA, uh, the complaint we filed with the DODIG about NSA, and so I said, okay, here's the crime. George Bush, Dick Cheney, Hayden, and Tennant conspired to subvert the Constitution. Here's how they did it. Program's called Stellar Wind. I explained all the data and everything, how it worked and what was happening inside the software inside NSA. And I was doing this on my back porch with a bunch of other agents that weren't cleared for the program. The only one that was cleared was Paul Marek, the senior FBI agent in charge there. And the only thing he can do while I was he could do while I was explaining this was uh, look at the floor because he was cleared for the program. He knew it was unconstitutional, and he knew also it was a violation of any number of laws, and, and he, he knew he was there as a part of a cover-up mechanism. And so I caused him a problem in the sense that the rest of the agents weren't cleared for that program, and so they couldn't just leave, and he couldn't let them leave without explaining that they have to come back in the next morning and come back and get briefed into the program so they can't talk about it. Uh, you know, so that 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 basically was how I I started getting really mad at them at that point. I couldn't I, the anger just built over time. I just couldn't see straight after that. I said, my country is doing this to me, after all the stuff I've done for my country. I can't believe it. You know. I I have a a question that um, Cheryl from Amherst has just sent in. Um, she said. Um, I'm sorry, I'm trying to understand it here. It's in shorthand. Um, I think you two, both of you men have retired. How long do you think you will continue doing the work you're doing, speaking out against NSA surveillance? That's well, I hope um, a minimum amount of time because I hope that – that the people wise up, and, the, and the, I think the courts are starting to wake up. I mean, they're not being buffaloed anymore by the government. I mean, they feed them a, a narrative, and they expect them to buy the narrative. That's why the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, you know, uh, ruled that the uh, secret interpretation of Section 215 of the Patriot Act was illegal a few couple of weeks ago. And so, I mean, we knew that was illegal from the very beginning. So did they. That's why. That's why the uh, the government was keeping it all secret because they knew it was against the law. I mean, it was a violation of the constitutional rights of everybody. They knew that. That's why it was all secret. That's why they had to give retroactive immunity to the telecoms for the crimes they were committing. So, 
um, um, I think and I hope that everybody in the country starts to realize what's going on and doesn't let them get away with it anymore and this moves faster. And so um, I'm hoping that I don't have to do this anymore next year. <laughs> I, I would I would just simply say that I intend to do it until I die, uh, as long as it's not fixed. Um, just won't stop. I got nothing better to do. I mean, I got to do honeydews like everybody else. I got stuff to do around the house. But <laughs> but in my free time, um, I I intend to uh, continue speaking out letting the truth be known. And frankly, Mara, there's another side to this. It's not just that NSA is uh, illegal. You know, it's violating our constitutional rights. Um, and it's not just the Fourth Amendment of privacy. It's the Fifth, Sixth, uh, the right to a fair trial. All of these things, because the FBI and others are using the NSA data and some of the data they collect themselves without warrants, to charge people in court and then lying to the judge and the defense attorneys um, about how they um, came to their conclusions uh, to prosecute. So they lie and say, well, we did it with regular old-fashioned investigative work when, in fact, they got it from NSA's bulk collection of information. So it's undermining our whole way of life, and we've got to stop it. And so you, what do you think will stop it? Uh, well, outrage. Letting the public know is enough? And how, how well, well, no. I, we need to take action. We have to action our, our outrage. We can't sit home and say, well, that's too bad. you got to at least pick up a telephone and scream at your congressman uh, or senators. And even if they're in another party, and this is not political. This is our fundamental rights. Nowhere on the Constitution does it say Democrat, Republican, Independent. Forget all the talking heads out there. This is survival of our way of life and our nation as we know it. And there are people who are tearing it apart. Are there enough people of conscience who work in government that you think more and more people will be... uh, uh, coming out in public and condemning things that are being done in our name? I am told that there are other whistleblowers whose names uh, have not been released, who have not yet spoken publicly, but I think in time as they get themselves set up legally and get the, you know, get someone on their side and, you know, whistleblowing's can be a dangerous uh, thing uh, because we have people willing to use the system against you. So you must be very careful. So yes, I, I am. I am hopeful more will come forth, um, and that will be helpful. But we can't just do that. We have to encourage the public to blow the whistle on corruption wherever they see it. I don't care if they live in Paducah, Kentucky. If you see corruption in the local bank, pinpoint it, tell somebody about it, and ferret it out. Because far too many people in this once great nation are making their lives through corruptive kinds of actions, and we've got to stop it. Corruption is at the root of all of this activity. It's not politics. 
it's me, mine, and uh, my welfare into the future. It's a very selfish, destructive thing under a constitutional republic such as ours. Well, doesn't it take a special kind of courage to buck a system that seems to be set up uh, to to thwart uh, personal sovereignty? What kind of, I mean, where did you draw your courage from? Was it just your moral outrage for, for all your life's work being bastardized, or was there something special in you and other whistleblowers you have met, do you think? What do you think? Go ahead, Bill. Bill? Uh, well, I think there's part... Part of that is true. I mean, it's part, partly it was the, the my background growing up. Uh, my father was in World War II, World War II, and uh, you know, uh, I grew up in the country where you know we were very patriotic, and uh, we all believed in the Constitution as the founding principles of our country and the thing that made us strong uh, as a country. Um, and uh, so when when I went to uh, start working for NSA, I felt I was uh, doing my part. And making sure that uh, you know um, a country was uh, uh, free, and my contribution to that. Um, so I felt I was fitting right in there. And so when they started going against the Constitution, that's where I saw the entire thing falling apart. And that's where uh, uh, I was going to stand up for the oath that I took to hold the office that I did. Well, yeah, more. It's. I mean, think about it. Bill was in the military. I was in the military. I was a Boy Scout. I think Bill was. Um, you, you, you know, we, we were brought up with values, and the Constitution meant something. And when we um, um, said the Pledge of Allegiance, it meant something. And it was we never pledged allegiance to a president or to a congressman. It was always the flag, the nation, the people of the United States, and the Constitution that um, set forth our form of government. When Bill and I joined the military, we took an oath to uphold the Constitution and defend it against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And when we went to work for the NSA, same oath, defend it. It wasn't defend Obama. It wasn't defend Bush. It was defend the Constitution. We took it to heart. We had regulations, proper regulations, how to deal with electronic intercept of Americans' data. And all that changed wildly. And, um, um, excuse me. Um, that's, my, that's my pet, Welsh Corgi. <laughs> I'm sorry. But anyway, um, all that changed on 9-11. And the decision was made by a handful of people. The Supreme Court didn't get a vote. The people didn't get a vote. Nobody got a vote, and we changed the, we flip up the whole Constitution for what? And they haven't done a good job. They missed Boston Marathon. They missed the Underwear Bomber, Times Square Bomber, Fort Hood, uh, Charlie Hebdo, the recent event out in Garland, Texas. They're failing, and yet they claim they got to have all this data. Something is terribly wrong. I would also point out that every member of Congress the, and the president take the oath, the same oath to protect and defend the Constitution. And the president has the additional responsibility to preserve it. And they are not living up to their oath of office. 
and the government is also uh, not the only uh, culprit here. The government is in collusion with all these multinational corporations who are telecommunications and others that are sharing information and um, and using information also. It's not only governmental misuse of the information, but it's also corporate misuse of the information. Absolutely right. And what do you usually get if you read history at all? When government works closely with big business, you get something called fascism. And we're headed there. And you just need the policing component. Well, now we have intelligence merging with the police in this country. When Hitler did it, he merged the SS with the Gestapo, the security people, with the police. All of that happened under the Third Reich. We are mimicking history before our very eyes. You uh, have both uh, been uh, exposing this great, uh, humongous data center in uh, Bluffdale, Utah. Can you tell us a little bit about what that actually means and what it's housing? Well, it's, and uh, how, basically, I would say not yeah. only how much is how much information is being stored, but how can that information be is, is how is that accessed by the government and other you know bad actors who would be using it against individuals or groups? Uh, it's primarily uh, uh, it's primarily content of communications that they're storing there, and that means uh, domestic as well as foreign. It's not limited. Uh, uh, but but the, the 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 problem is uh, even now they're planning five years ahead to replace it. Uh, they had to submit a uh, environmental impact statement uh, uh, to uh, for for uh, getting ready to make another building of uh, 2.8 million square feet on Fort Meade. So that's about three times the size of the Utah facility, and so that's basically planning for Utah to be full so that uh, by that in f about five years. So at that time this. New facilities should come online so they have places to store the data. And what it is is simply compiling all kinds of information on everybody on the planet, basically, which allows them to interrogate them and retroactively analyze anybody. Uh, the, <clears throat> the primary users of that are law enforcement and CIA, who also have direct access to that but have no oversight whatsoever of what they're doing. No one even looks at how they use this data, how they interrogate it, or how they use it, or they, who they use it against. So that's the, <clears throat> that's what I see is the major problem with uh, even letting the government have this data. That's why Kirk and I both, uh, as well as Tom Drake, signed a sworn affidavits for the court in support of Jewel versus NSA, the lawsuit, which is challenging the constitutionality of NSA or any other government agency to collect this kind of data on U.S. citizens without probable cause. Is this just a, a rogue thing? How how is this escalated to the point that we're now having trillions and trillions of uh, transactions uh, of our own lives being held somewhere? Uh, we don't know how it might ever be used. I mean, is this coming from the highest office in the land? Is this a, an agency gone crazy? What, what What is allowing such things to happen? There's no congressional pushback whatsoever. Uh, how how has this happened? Is it just the technology is there, so it's going to be abused and misused? Yeah. Plus, they've uh, what they've done is they've been fear mongering over terrorism uh, since 9/11. When in fact they should have stopped it from the beginning. They had all the data necessary to stop it in their databases, 
at NSA. They just didn't even know they had it there. If they'd have, if they'd have deployed the thin thread program in January, they would have known that data was there uh, because it would pick it out right away. It did that. Tom Drake ran it in early 2002, I think it was February, and it found that data quite quite readily in the database uh, bef- that was it was in the database before 9/11. So if they had it running at that time, it would have found that data back then. So uh, the, I guess the point is that they they uh, they were trading this for, as Kirk had referred to earlier, for money. I mean, it's the very simply they traded your security, my security, the ever free world security, for money. For a privatized. Uh, for building an empire, yeah, yeah. Work, yeah. So, I mean, uh, if what you do, what they've done is basically uh, adopted the philosophy of I have to collect everything. Now, what that means is an ever-increasing amount of data being circulated around the world every year. It's always increasing in terms of data and communication stuff. So that means they're locking themselves into always having to capture a greater level of information year after year which in turn means they need more money year after year. That's a growing budget to make, to maintain that collection. Now then also on top of that, they have to have places to store it, like this 2.8 million square foot facility coming on Fort Meade again, uh, or the Bluffdale facility, those kinds of facilities, what they're going to have to build more of them to sustain that collection. Um, because if you looked at just the metadata and you wanted to keep all the relationships of uh, everyone in the world in metadata in every domain, phone calls, emails, financial transactions, travel, everything. You could do that in a, a room probably 20 to 30 foot wide and 40 foot long. That's all the space you would need to do that with the current storage capacity. So, but in, 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 in Bluffdale, they got 100,000 square feet. So, I mean, that's all for content. That's not for metadata. And it's not for metadata relationships either because that would, that would be in, incorporated in that small space of a, 20 to 30 foot by 40 foot room. So the the the, the point is, <clears throat> they they have locked themselves into an ever growing empire, and that's what they've wanted, and they've committed the U.S. taxpayer to pay for it. And th- this also must take. Uh, I mean, I imagine thousands and thousands of people have access to all this data. Uh, yes, that's the other part. It's primarily the culprit. Yeah, primarily culprits are, are CIA and FBI. And also DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration, they do that too. But also they have an X-Key Score program, which is sharing at least portions of this data with other countries like Israel or Germany or various other countries that are participating with them, certainly the Five Eyes. So, I mean, uh, that's, uh, that's being shared internationally. And then the reverse is true too, because the Bundestag just found out that the BND had been acquiring German citizens' data and passing it to NSA. So, I mean, this just came out recently in some of the news reporting about the investigation they were doing on the B&D. Yes, and uh, Daniel Ellsberg and Roots Actions, Norman Solomon and others are delivering some uh, uh, petition signed by uh, thousands of people asking the B&D to uh, stop that as well. Uh, just this week in the week of action on whistleblowing. Now, can you tell us a little bit? Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to switch. We're we're getting short on time. I just wanted to switch over to um, to protecting whistleblowers. Um, you know, one of the things that you're trying to do, and and we are trying to do, is to encourage others to step forward. As you discussed earlier, we need more people in positions. Uh, 
where they have information that would be important to the U.S. public and we're not hearing about it, to step forward, whether it's uh, to talk about corporate malfeasance or governmental malfeasance or um, something as, as radical as what you have exposed. Um, there's a, a, a project called the Government Accountability Project, and I believe you, you're um, now connected with that as uh, being protected as whistleblowers who have shared really critical information with the public. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, GAP, the Government Accountability Project, which can be found, by the way, for our listeners at whistleblower.org if anybody is interested in uh, learning more about that and potentially becoming a whistleblower. Yeah, let, let me just say this. Um, GAP is a tr GAP, Government Accountability Project, is a terrific um, organization because they give whistleblowers who are unsure how to go forth um, some legal cover. Now, there's a distinction here. Um, GAP will not represent a whistleblower uh, for all uh, lawsuits that he or she may get involved in. But any that do involve the act of whistleblowing, they will protect if they can take you. It all depends on their workload and so forth. And they have different attorneys working in different parts of, uh, of life, if you will. They have agricultural attorneys who worry about food safety and the slaughtering of animals, the safety of animals. They have a, a wide range of attorneys available. Ours is uh, Bill's and my and Tom Drake's Jesslyn Radak, uh, who was a godsend when we uh, were intimidated. We were worried what the government might do to us. We finally had a safe haven that we could go to. Um, and this is the kind of information that uh, people in the audience can find out by visiting either uh, their website or exposedfacts.org, um, which um, is uh, attempting uh, right now this week uh, to campaign for uh, people to blow the whistle, to tell the truth, to stand up for truth. That's uh, our motto, stand up for truth. And one of the reasons that we're on this program right now is to encourage people to step forward. Thank you. Um, that's It's really great that you are helping other whistleblowers and that you have found sort of a community of whistleblowers and those supporting them, uh, journalists and um, and attorneys and others who can be supportive once somebody um, makes the decision to go public. I, I wanted to ask you, uh, as we're wrapping up, I, I would like to ask you about media coverage, what it's been like since the beginning, uh, whether mainstream media have uh, covered um, your your work. How, how did you first uh, come out media-wise, and then what, what's it been like since for you both? I'll start with Bill. Uh, I, I would say uh, uh, originally we started getting some like Jane Mayer uh, carried, uh, she wrote an article uh, about this, about Tom Drake's case uh, in early May of 2011. And uh, <clears throat> then uh, later on, uh, there was a 60 Minutes, uh, later on in May, a 60 Minutes program uh, Scott Pelley did. Uh, and it was about Tom Drake's case again, but it also included all the things that we were talking about in, in terms of uh, 
violations of the constitutional rights of everybody in the collection of data on U.S. citizens. And then uh, it was a long period, and then Jim Bamford did an article on Wired, and that's really started things going again. Uh, but uh, overall, I would say uh, <clears throat> mainstream media, except for a few um, interviews on in, uh, on the Fox and a few others like um, Alex Jones and various others, uh, uh, you know, <clears throat> it's it's been uh, mainstream media has really shied away from this. They really uh, have treated this like a like a some kind of disease. If you get close to it, you're going to get sick, you know. So they don't even. They're really afraid to touch it. I think it's like, um, and what because of what's happened, uh, you know, the government is threatening everybody. They threatened Jim Risen, the AP, uh, and various other by pulling their data. They had their data and so on. So it was from various programs that they got that data, and I think they used it also against the IRS. Uh, also, as a look into uh, the data at NSA, they can see all the relationships. So they know the Tea Party, they know the Occupy group, they know all kinds of uh, groups. Uh, and all their relationships with everybody in the country. So, <clears throat> and I also believe very strongly that they used it against Elliot Spitzer. Why? Because he was going after the bankers on Wall Street for, for criminal prosecution, fraud, and defrauding people. So that's what he. I think they. Elliot I think that Spitzer I, was the I, Attorney I, General of New York State, <clears throat> who was. Uh, you believe he was set up to. Um, yes, I do. Yeah, I, <clears throat> it's my belief that he used this. I mean, after all. What did they go after? They went after his emails, phone calls, financial transactions, things like that. All that's the data that's held at NSA. It was done by the FBI, and they have direct access to it. And, again, the, the question is, what is the probable cause for them to do that to begin with? I mean, I've never, I never, I never heard of anything stating they had probable cause to begin with. So I just suspect that they were trying to get rid of a problem. They looked at him as a problem, trying to threaten the existing structure, and they got rid of him by doing that. That's the way. That's what I believe. I believe. Well, and and my only comment, Mara, would be um, to uh, quote the propaganda minister Joseph Goebbels for Adolf Hitler. It was he who said, "If you're not doing anything wrong, you have nothing to fear." Well, uh, hopefully we will all be doing something to uh, to continue helping whistleblowers, to becoming whistleblowers ourselves, to be screaming, as you said, screaming out <clears throat> about um, righteousness. I mean, because really this is righteousness. It's uh, it's sovereignty. It's we the people, the sovereignty of we the people to determine our own. <laughs> Governance. That's what what you fought for. What why you joined the military. Why you worked for the National Security Agency for so long. Why you're doing what you do now because um, you do believe in the in the rights of uh, citizens and and residents to determine our own destiny without without having our uh, our government working against us in collusion with private enterprises um, and. There's, there are a lot of resources out there for those who are interested. Uh, first of all, this whole week uh, has been a Stand Up for Truth Week, an international week to support whistleblowing. Um, this webinar is uh, a web conference is one of um, uh, seven that have happened this week. We have another one coming.